How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Life's Key 3. Today we are changing our format a little bit, and I am very excited to have a very special guest with me, Ruth Hopsipian. And I hope I have said that correctly. Very well. And Ruth and I have met online. She is a fellow speaker, and she is an author and a podcaster, and she has a powerful message of hope, transformation, and renewal through Jesus Christ. And it's been birthed from her own journey. She is the mother of three, and I have asked her to come on today because I think that her story of just highlighting and showing God's faithfulness, his resurrection, and his redemption is a story that never gets old, and we all need to hear those stories for ourselves and for the other people that we have in our lives. So, Ruth, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm just going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself and let us know Uh, Let the audience know whatever you want them to know about you. And then let's just go ahead, if you'll just kind of jump into, tell us kind of where you are now, and then then we'll kind of go into the backstory. Well, thank you for having me and giving me this platform. And uh, really, it is by the grace of God that we are here today, and we're, we're talking about this. And I am at a place in my life where there is joy and there is peace and there is renewal in my life. And my relationship with the Lord is the best that it has ever been. And I, you know, I, I sometimes, I, I hate to look back and, and, you know, get stuck on the past, but sometimes I wonder how life would have been so different if I had had this relationship with the Lord. And it had been my relationship, not my parents' relationship or my grandparents' relationship, because I am the child of, you know, a, a pastor and, and, and you know, members of the church and elders. So it, it, it makes a difference. This is my relationship. And I'm, I'm at an awesome place. And I praise God for that. Well, and that is so important. And for any of our parents that are listening to be able to know that as much as we would love to be able to kind of just do something to pass our faith on to our kids, that there's not, there's no magic formula for that. And anybody that says otherwise is lying. That's right. <laughs> so, But there are things that, that we can do to, um, you know, to help with that. But ultimately, everybody has, you know, the power of, of choice and choices that are made along the way. So. Can you just kind of uh, go back and however far back that you want to go and whether that's, you know, as a kid or if you if you want to pick up at a little later point in your life and talk to us about that journey of how you you had an awareness of the faith. um, So you didn't come to Christ later in life, having never heard about Christ before. And then kind of the journey as to how did you. Did you have a faith that you thought you had, and then eventually you realize it really wasn't your faith? It was just living somebody else's faith, or you know, kind of how did you move from wherever you began to to where you are now? 
Well, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a, a very loving family, a very stable uh, lifestyle. You know, my, my parents worked hard and I was the child of immigrants. So, you know, the, the life we had was a great one. I can't complain about the, you know, the childhood and yeah, it, it formed me to be very innocent in many ways. I, I had a very innocent nature. I had a very questioning nature to the point where I think my parents would just roll their eyes at all the questions that I had. And it wasn't questions where I questioned you know, my parents' faith or questioned, you know, biblical stuff. It was just questions in general. And I always like to stand up for the underdog. That's who I was. And I was raised in the church. My, my dad became a pastor when I was in my late teens, I would say, or mid-teens. And But along the way, my dad had been an elder. My mom was involved in church. I had uncles that were lay pastors in different uh, churches, uh, whether it was the Armenian church, Greek church, all evangelical churches. But that's the that was the culture I was raised in. And at the age of about 11 or 12 at at uh, sleepaway camp, we watched, I don't know if you remember, Left Behind. We're talking about the original oh, yes. one. Yep. And the, <laughs> yes. literally the fear of being left behind pushed me to make a commitment. And I was baptized around 15 and 16. And I lived my life, you know, um, it wasn't one of those big spiritual awakenings or whatever, because I had grown up, I led a very sheltered life, very strict upbringing. Uh, you know, it was, it was just, I don't know, a commitment I made. And then as I went out into the world at 17, when I started to work, and started to be out there, things happened that I didn't know how to deal with. Now I have to preface this all and say, even though I grew up in a very sheltered, conservative Christian home, I was introduced to porn in my preteens. And I never thought that that had been a problem in my life. It kind of became an epicenter of everything that I did I, I realize now that I didn't like to be hugged by adults. And I've come to understand that because I had been introduced to this sexuality at a very young age, I perceived adult hugs to be sexual hugs. And that made okay. certain things in my life, now I understand, where I was pushing back on the people around me. And you know, I was technically a virgin, you know, when I got married to my husband, and he was my first partner. And, you know, we had a normal life. You know, he was a Christian, we went to church, we were, we were involved in church, I had been teaching Sunday school, you know, since my teens and youth groups, we had a normal life. And at, at a certain point, things went sour, and we went through a really a bad separation and then divorce. And I was left to look after three children all under the age of six, five or six. And my youngest was five months old when we separated. 
Wow. So wow. things things were out of control in my life. They were not what I had been raised to understand. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would get divorced. Because if you had asked me at 16, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said to you, I want to be a wife and I want to be a mother. That was my dream. That is still my ultimate mm -hmm. dream. Like I, everything I've achieved came secondary. They, I, those I achieved because I got divorced, not because they were my dreams or my mm -hmm. desires. My really, my base feeling was I want to be the best wife and I want to be an awesome mother. That's it. But life, <laughs> life happens. So yeah, I yes, right. Yeah. And I, I was divorced and I found myself in a in a pickle and it was very difficult to to survive financially, emotionally, spiritually. There was a fallout at the church, uh, being the pastor's kid and going through a divorce. The blame was put on my dad. The blame was put on me. And again, uh, you know, I said, Stephanie, at the beginning, I don't talk uh, badly of my ex-husband or the father of my children. We have a good relationship today. Mm -hmm. And I, I thank God for that. But it was a really difficult time, those years of separation and divorce. And it did a lot of damage mm -hmm. to the the physical body of the church and to me in a spiritual way. And you know, I, I I alluded to the fact that I had made the decision to follow Christ on the basis of fear, not on the basis of mm -hmm. faith. And I think I had lived out the life of faith that were my parents and what their expectations were mm -hmm. and what the church's expectation was of me. So when things went, you know, sour or south or, you know, went off kilter, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't have that emotional maturity, spiritual maturity to be able to deal with it. So it was a disaster mm -hmm. in my life, in my personal life. Yeah. And I don't know in, in your journey, we haven't talked about this. And so you can speak to this or not, you know, as, as you wish. You know, I have a similar story in the sense of growing up in the church and, and with a very real faith and my parents' faith was very real. And so it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a casual faith. I mean, it really was the core of their life. And I grew up in a very Bible believing church. And, and I came to make a commitment to Christ as, as a young child that, you know, was, was my own and certainly grew up at a time when, um, you know, divorce was kind of next to the unpardonable sin. Yeah. I mean, nobody really said it that way, but that's basically mm. what it was. I mean, it kind of fell maybe, maybe just a little short under murder, but you know, it was pretty close up there. And, and I remember in my adult years, because I had heard so many sermons just in church and through radio and books and everything about the verse in Malachi that talks about how God hates divorce. Mm -hmm. And so I'd heard that, you know, so much in my own life. And then I remember the shock that I had as an adult when I was just, you know, reading the scriptures 
And I happened to be reading in Malachi and I read the second half of that verse. It's the very same verse. And the second half of that verse that also talks about that God also hates when a man um, commits violence against his family. And there are different types of violence. And I was just shocked. I'm like, why does nobody speak about this part of it? You know? And so I think that we have come, I don't think we have arrived in, in our Christianity in terms of our culture, at least here, you know, and, and what I have been exposed to in the States, I think we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to this area of divorce. And I totally understand how it has become in so many parts of society and even amongst Christians, very flippantly, mm. very flippantly done. And so, and yet at the same time, we don't solve the extreme of the pendulum going to, to one end by swinging it all the way yeah. to the other end. And so as you look back on that, and, and I don't want the whole, I, your whole purpose in being here is not just to talk on this, yeah. thing, but I do <laughs> think it's relevant in the sense it that is. understanding that how we deal with people in these situations can make a huge difference in how they weather them. Amen. And, and that our theology needs yeah. to be correctly aligned and not just based on a few things in Scripture and not the totality of yeah. Scripture. Yeah, I think, you know, when I look back, our churches have become and I, I see the change. I do see the change, but it's a slow one where we have become, we are very legalistic. And my concern about that is, as you said, we put divorce right there next to the unpardonable sin. And what that does is we, we lose that human connection with those that are suffering. And what i have said and what i have learned and you know please you know understand that i i was raised in that right so for me divorce was not an option are you kidding i knew that i had made my bed and i had to lay in it for eternity i never thought i would be divorced to the point where after my divorce for the longest time my poor mother would say to me ruth if it was so bad between the two of you, why did you have your last child? Because remember, she was five months old when we split. And she mm -hmm. said this enough times that it just, one day I just turned around and said, Mom, if that were the case, I would not have had any children. And she froze mm -hmm. because that was a huge understanding of where that 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 marriage had been from the get-go and i think mm -hmm. that i just i did you know i did not understand how legalistic this was now i'm not flippant about divorce anytime i i counsel women that are going through difficult times and they say to me i just need a divorce i've fallen out of love i don't do the yeah, I'm the worst person to say that to because my first reaction is <laughs> stop, stop, stop being mm -hmm. so flippant about your marriage. You've made a commitment because mm -hmm. this we're talking about Christian, Christian women now, you know, I, I may talk differently to those that are unbelievers, but those that are women, believers, I'll say, 
why are you so flippant about taking your vows to this marriage to your husband and to your lord Mm -hmm. you need to be careful about that Mm -hmm. now going back to what you said yes we we don't understand we don't know how to talk to people who are going through a difficult time why is it that suddenly certain sins are greater than other sins i don't see that in the bible a sin is a sin in the eyes of god and we need to treat all sin equally. What about that person who steals time from their employer by going in late to work every day? That is a sin because you're stealing the time that is owed to your employer. And that's how I think of it. So when I got divorced, I wasn't I wasn't nonchalant about it. I knew that what I had done was wrong. Was it in my control? Yes and no. Everything is in our control. It's a 50-50 deal. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about ultimately, you know, where are we in our churches with this? And I knew it was wrong. And yet I came to understand years later, years later, that this wasn't an unforgivable sin. I had to take it to the Lord. And for years, and I mean maybe decades, I lived with that burden of how am I to be forgiven? How will I move forward? Mm-hmm. I have sinned in at, at a, such a magnitude that I cannot be forgiven. So yes, there's a lot of damage being done out there for for people who may not have a strong faith. And I'm 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 very careful when I say that, right? Because maybe someone who who has a good strong faith and and base will not stumble and fall as I did. Well, and I think that, you know, from what you said, that you really had this very difficult combination where you already had fear that had taken root in your life. And usually as children, when we have things that take root in our lives as children, we just don't have the understanding at an adult mm. level of how much something has impacted us. So it takes root and it inf- uh, it um, affects us. But we don't even know that it's affecting us. And so you have this fear. And then on top of that, now you have this shame that that and that is a hard taskmaster to live under. So can you just kind of walk us through then? um, So then what were some of the steps, Mm. you know, that you took? And again, you know, we're wanting to share today because ultimately you're no longer living yes. under that fear and that shame. And so this is a journey of redemption. And we want to be able to, yeah. you know, to, to share the parts of your story that people need to hear so they so they find right. you credible, right? And can relate to that, but also ultimately to lead them also to mm. healing and redemption. So, you know, I I think you made a great point about living in fear. And I believe that I had lived in fear, you know, the the, the subconscious fear, because the fear was so great that if I went to bed and put my head on the pillow and I had not prayed as a child or even a teenager, I literally would jump out of bed, kneel by the sun, because that's how I was taught to pray, because I thought that that prayer that if I did not pray it before going to bed, and if I died that night, I would go to hell. 
Now, I don't know where this impression came from. It could be because we were such a, you know, we lived in such a strict environment that my my personality took it to that degree that I would be going to hell. And that's how, what happened when I also got divorced because when I got separated and divorced, I lived in fear. I lived in self-doubt. I had no dignity left. I was I was branded almost as though I were a uh, a prostitute, or I had you know I needed to put on the scarlet letter because a lot happened within the church with the church men, with the church leaders, and it was a very difficult time for me. And what happened was very simply, I, I lived in a little bubble with my three children and myself, no support, where would I turn to the shame was great. And I had people telling me that this is not how a Christian lived. So I started to eat and eat and eat to the point where on an analog uh, scale, it went past zero. So that's hitting about 300 plus weight. And something snapped in me one day. And I lost a lot of weight, a lot over 100 pounds. And with it, I got a false sense of security and confidence. And I remember one day, my children went to visit their dad on a weekend. And something in me snapped. And I got dressed. And I went out and I went into my first bar. I had never been in a bar before. Maybe when I was married. No, not even then. I never went into a bar. And I walked into, where did that confidence come from? And I, you know, it was it was a confidence that I had never felt before. And I walked into a bar, sat at the bar. And in Montreal, nightlife doesn't start until, you know, 10, 11, 12. But I was at the bar at 7 o'clock in the evening. It was quiet, few people in there. And I ordered a drink, the only drink I knew, rum and coke. And I, <laughs> and I ordered this and I started to drink this. And something snapped in me, Stephanie, that I cannot explain. A switch went off. And that was the first drink of many for the next 15 plus years of drinking to numb my conscience, to silence the, the voice, the Holy Spirit, and to give me false confidence to live a life of debauchery. And when I say that, I don't say it lightly, because what what became of me was I became an addict to sex and to pornography. Now, pornography in my marriage never happened. I never needed it, never watched it. But there were, I, I see the signs of certain things now when I look back that were happening within me. And that was because of the introduction to it at a very young age. And I remember when I walked in that first night, and the first time a man came and spoke to me, I felt 10 feet tall. I felt recognized. I felt as though I had come into my being. And I loved that high, that buzz, that, that feeling 
of confidence. But with it also came the guilt because I was a church girl and I had just slept with a man who was not my husband. And then all the other fears that come with it. But did that stop me? No, because like any addict, sex became my go-to for that high, that buzz, that feeling of euphoria. And like any addict to whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling, each hit needs to be stronger because the buzz starts to weaken and it becomes more dangerous and you take more chances and you take more risks and you no longer have fear of what can happen or may happen. And I found that in myself, you know, as the years went, I was taking very unnecessary and dangerous risks. And I am, I, I am so grateful that I am here because I could have been a statistic in a big city. Woman found an alley, woman found in a hotel bed, in a hotel room, or, you know, left on the side of the road because that was the life I was living. No one knew what I was doing. It was a secret life, a very secret life. You know, on Sundays, I may have been still, you know, overcoming, you know, the night before I would be in church. Uh, my body was there, but my mind and my spirit was not there. So I lived a very good double life. And, you know, my, my parents were not oblivious or my grandmother, because she was the only one around me at the time. They all knew something was up, but what it was, they didn't know. They just thought that I had walked away from my faith or just, you know, was ignoring what, you know, the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know the degree of what my life was like. So that's, that was a, a good 15 years of it until, you know, and, and in the meantime, I had a very successful career. I had gone back to school. I had gone back to work. I, you know, became a, a director in a IT company. I made six figures. I made five figures of bonuses. I was living the high life. I had become very successful. I didn't need anybody. I didn't need anybody. That was my motto, motto that I, I, I could do it alone. And that is the downfall of those of us that leave our childhood faith or childhood understanding of Christ is because we think we can do it alone. We don't need it. We were failed by the church or by by God. And we, look at us now. We don't need you. You left us. Now we, we're dealing with it until everything was taken away from me. I was let go from my job uh, under the guise of restructuring because there were different things that were happening. And my, one of the strongest pieces of my identity were taken away from me, Stephanie, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I went even deeper and deeper into this, the, the sex life that I was having until one night I found myself coming to, I had blacked out, don't remember leaving the bar, but I, I, I opened my eyes to a darkness and 
sensing that there were people in a, a, a in a room and then losing my consciousness again and then waking up again or becoming conscious enough to know to get dressed and to walk out and then I don't remember even going down riding the elevator or going to the door of the hotel I remember opening the door and that cold winter air hitting my face and not knowing where I was in the city and taking a cab again blacking out in the cab I don't remember the ride but I do remember opening the door and walking in the door and turning my face away from that mirror on the wall because I knew I, I didn't recognize that person anymore. And, and, and so that was the first time that a feeling came over me that I need to stop. I need to stop. And it was, it was a process. It took a long time. It took about five years from that first moment of that little click in my brain to say, Ruth, you, you really need to stop to me becoming sober and clean and stepping away from all of these things. And and it was a very lonely and, and scary road because who do you turn to? You can't go to your church, you can't go to your 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 pastor, my pastor was my father, and tell them, you know, I'm an addict and, and not just any addict, but I'm a porn and sex addict. And and how how does the how does anyone deal with that and i didn't really understand the world of therapy or going to because i i had never accepted the fact that i was an addict i just knew i was living a, a, this life it's only through my recovery and 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 being sober for the last 8 plus years that i've come to understand i was an addict and that I needed this this about face and this change and so for 5 years my journey was trying to pray that first prayer was not a prayer because first of all I was not in the the physical condition to pray it was it was more of a lord you know sort of like help me wake up in the morning and be alive and then the next few prayers were very shame like i was ashamed to pray how can i be praying when because you, you know you you need to understand that someone who's addicted to porn and sex has a lot of visual in their mind so i would be praying and the visuals would be popping out and you how do you approach the holy of holies the king of kings with this, the smut in your brain, your body, you know, you, you take a shower and you can't wash off that feeling of all that sin. But it did get easier. And, 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 and each prayer became a little bit longer and maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, it made more sense with each prayer. And for me, it was turning to prayer that was my salvation i turned to prayer and as i built that relationship with christ and i took every ounce of need to him my relationship was renewed 
and was trans and I was transformed and I became a new person. It took a while to be able to forgive myself. I believe that Christ forgave me the moment I asked me, I asked him, but it took a long time for me to forgive myself. And, you know, sometimes when now, you know, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm at a great place. And sometimes that's when Satan hits us the hardest, right? Like Job, you know, and I, I, I would never say I'm a Job ever, please don't misunderstand me. But, but like Job, you know, you are doing well and your, your prayer life is strong. And all of a sudden in the middle of a prayer, something clicks and your mind goes back to the past and you're sitting there defeated and like, Lord, why, why did I do this? So I think that for us, for addicts, it is a journey that we take every day. I take it, it's a, it's a daily, you know, step for me. I don't struggle with it anymore. I take it to the Lord. Um, and like, like anything else, the, the longer you are in recovery, the stronger your willpower is. And I give it all to the Lord. It wasn't me. Um, it wasn't anything I did, but it really was handing it over to the Lord and saying, I'm done. Please take over my life. So yes, I am, a, I am the story of transformation and redemption and renewal. Haven't you so valued and appreciated Ruth's honesty and her transparency? Also the fact that she's not just focused on going into all of the details of the life that she got into, but also being able to focus on a message of hope and grace and forgiveness and what we can learn and take away from that not only for our own lives in terms of how we may need God's grace and forgiveness, but also how we can be present for other people when they are going through or have gone through a very difficult situation or years of difficulties, whether they have been as a result of their own choices or other people's choices, and just also focusing on the fact that none of us live entirely independently. We are affected by and we affect and influence others on our journey as well. Well, that's going to wrap up part one, and we're going to be back next week with the continuation and the part two of my interview with Ruth. So make sure to come back because you don't want to miss the rest of her story. If you haven't already, make sure to visit the website, stephaniepresents.com, sign up for the weekly newsletter highlights so you can keep up with everything that's going on around here. And in the meantime, remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected. <laughs>